listening to the sermon podcast of Brockport First Baptist. We are a progressive American Baptist congregation located about 20 minutes outside of Rochester, New York. To learn more about our church and support our ministries, please visit BrockportFirstBaptist.org. This morning's scripture comes from um, continuing in the book of Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 21, and it will be from the New Revised Standard Version. Let love be genuine, hate what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with mutual affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not lag in zeal. Be ardent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in suffering, persevere in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Extend hospitality to strangers. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Do not claim to be wiser than you are. Do not repay anyone evil for evil, but take thought for what is noble in the sight of all. If it is possible, so far as it depends on you, live peacefully with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. No, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, Give them something to drink, for by doing this you will heap burning coals on their heads. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Amen. Thanks, Jim. Uh, My name is Elisha Young. If you don't know me, I'm your discipleship coordinator and church administrative assistant, and today I don't get to blame Pastor Dan on this sermon. If you were here last month, I got to read his words, and today they're all mine. So, um, I am not going to lie. When he asked me to do this and told me that I got to preach on Romans 12 and love, I was so ridiculously excited. If you've ever had a conversation with me about really anything, um, love always ends up in the conversation in some way, shape, or form. Um, Hands down, this is the way that Jesus most changed my life. Um, Prior, I really didn't like people. I know that's really hard to believe now because I love people so much now, but I really didn't like them before, like not very many. Um, And if I did like you a little bit, I was ready to throw you under a bus if that meant I got to be number one again. Um, And if you were dragging on my life, easy to cut and run. Um, So, a little bit about my story. Um, So, we, Gary and I, were 19 and 21, and we actually got married here in this church. So, I thought that could be fun to show our picture. Um, I didn't have a clue what love was. Neither one of us did. Um, But I knew that I wanted to bring the baby we were expecting into a married home, Um, As we moved from state to state, uh, we continued attending churches, um, experiencing many different people, um, 
And God continued to place people in our lives who really knew what love was, what genuine love was, uh, even though Gary and I didn't see it for each other or for others. Um, we would move to another state and just cut ties and went on way too, uh, way too comfortable than I'm admitting. Um, after seven years of marriage, life kind of fell apart. We did the thing that I always said we would never do, and we got a divorce. Uh, we had three kids at the time. Um, it was messy in the feelings department, life drama, but somehow we loved each other enough to have the easiest divorce in history. Whenever I share that story with other people, <laughs> it's amazing how much like we just kind of gave each other what we wanted just so we could be done. Um, and we really didn't speak for approximately six months other than exchanging children back and forth. Um, during this time, we individually met Jesus in a way that's kind of hard to describe. Um, both of us had people in our lives who continued to love us the way that these verses that Jim read call us to. They loved us genuinely. Here we were, giant messes. I kid you not, for three months, I was on my knees at church just sobbing. And these people, we were, we were emotional draws on them, and yet they still opened their homes. They opened their lives. They opened their table. Um, they gave up nights and weekends and had us plugged into their lives just as much as they could just to love us. So from here, I'm going to take a pause, and I'm going to backtrack to the beginning of our marriage. So we thought we were in love. We thought we knew what we were doing. Um, if you were here back in the day, Reverend McCarthy sat down and we planned our wedding. And of course, we read 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 8. Um, I'll read it to you quickly. If I speak in the tongues of mortals and of angels, but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith, so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give away all my possessions, and if I hand over my body so that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient, love is kind, love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Okay, so th this part isn't on the slide, but verse number 13, you guys will know this one. And now faith, hope, and love abide these three, and the greatest of these is love. So the first thing that I notice here is it's another random list of attributes of what love is and what it looks like when you do not have love. As we continue further in this message, you're going to see that through this, um, though that this is a great list, it feels completely unattainable. Like, sure, we can just start being patient all the time. We're going to be kind. We're not going to envy. We'll just stop boasting. We'll stop being arrogant. We'll just stop being rude. We'll just love, even when we're not loved back, right? It's so easy. No. Um, Pastor Dan spoke last week. Um, he talked about how we're all adults, and we probably already know the things that we should be doing. Um, but he also shared about how 
Uh, even though we may know what we're supposed to do, we may not actually be doing it. And we need to allow God to transform our lives, giving ourselves fully to Jesus within the context of community. And then following up on that, Paul says, hey, you also need to love each other. So Paul gives this description of love in Romans 12 right on the heels of telling his listeners to allow God to transform their minds, right after reminding the Roman Christians to allow each other to do jobs that God created them to do, right on the heels of telling us that we need to lower ourselves down a notch and let other people be exalted. So starting in Romans 12, 9, it says, let love be genuine in the NRSV. Uh, the words used here in Greek can actually be um, translated the love sincere. There wasn't a verb used. Um, the love unfeigned or the love undisguised. So Paul is actually labeling this section um, as descriptions of what true love, unfeigned love, looks like. Um, the word used here for love is agape. Um, I'm not sure if you've heard that Greek term before, but this is the love that God has for us. The love that we're supposed to have for him, the unconditional love that we have for our spouses or for our children. And now Paul is using that same term to begin to describe the love that these Jewish and Gentile Christians are to be displaying to one another. These groups who have baggage, they have a history of not getting along, who are struggling with the way they all fit together. Paul says they need to have unconditional, unfeigned, real love for each other. So after he gives the heading, his first um, verse follows with hating evil and clinging to good. When we're truly loving others, truly being real with one another, sincerely loving God and people, we're naturally going to hate the evil that hurts those that God loves. And we're going to cling to the good that's in the world. And just as a side note, God loves everybody. That's just a little nugget to keep in mind. So next, Paul kind of breaks off into the most random phrases, similar with 1 Corinthians 13. Um, I kind of, when I read a book, I want it to all flow together. This is kind of random, and it flows, and it doesn't all at the same time. Um, so apparently in uh, the Greek, this rapid-fire style was very effective at accomplishing a list and it's just arguing for what this unfeigned, undisguised, sincere love looks like. I'm going to attempt to unpack Paul's main messages. So you're going to snap up your seatbelts because there's a lot of great little nuggets that I want to share. And I promise to go fast enough that the people on the balcony don't fall asleep because I know how warm it is up there. <laughs> so first, loving others mean we actually love them. So that seems really basic, but Paul starts out this train of thought in verse 10 with another Greek word for love here. Philadelphia is the word in verse 10 instead of agape. So this is what Philadelphia is, is sibling love. So not only are we supposed to love each other unconditionally like God loves us, but now we're also supposed to love each other like a sibling. 
So this love that we are to have for one another is like that of a family, which implies a level of devotion to one another. The blood is thicker than water sentiment. The I've seen you in your PJs when you're sick kind of love. The I've seen you when you've had your biggest triumphs and your biggest losses kind of love. The I know what you look like when you're throwing a tantrum and I still choose to love you kind of love. That's the level of relationship that comes naturally when you live and grow up with one another. But this is what God is calling us to. But I hear you. You may already have somebody in your mind right now that you struggle loving. Maybe you don't like them. Maybe you've been faking it for years. Uh, Faking this love with the best game face you can muster. Maybe you've been straight up mean because you lack a filter and choose to just speak your mind. But God is calling us to more than that. He wants us to actually take time to love them. It's more than a feeling, it's an action. This is where our culture gets the word love wrong every time. This word is thrown around too much in the wrong sense. This isn't the fall in or fall out of. It's not like cartoons show it. Over and over to our kids, this head over heels, googly-eyed, heart-thumping, butterflies in our stomach feeling. This Philadelphia, this agape love is an action. It's full of zeal. It's outdoing one another, not out of pride, but out of love, full of the Spirit while serving the Lord. So what does this look like? Maybe you take time and get to know the person that's in your mind that you're thinking about. Maybe you ask them questions, try to get to know their life a little better, get to know where they're coming from. Maybe they upset you 10 years ago, and you're still holding on to it. Or maybe you were hurt last week. Maybe they continue to do something over and over and over, and that's difficult to deal with. Maybe it's a person you like to gossip about at work. Maybe it's somebody you feel needs to be taken down a few notches. Maybe it's not somebody here in this room, and it's somebody you you don't see regularly, but when you think about them, your heart sinks, or your anger rises, but... This genuine love, it clings to what is good. Give the hurt to God. It makes sense for you, if it makes sense to go to that person and have a conversation, go for it. Um, If it makes sense for you to just talk to God about it, start that conversation today. Don't hold on to that anymore. And maybe this isn't something that you struggle with. Um, But I know that for me, I have always had people in my life that I just have to ask God to show me how to love them. Um, Something I do personally when I'm struggling with somebody's personality or if it's something that they they just rub me the wrong way, I know that most of you can track with that at least. Um, I spend time and I ask God to make known their heart or their brokenness to me in even just a small way. Because when you can see somebody's heart, When you can see their brokenness, you can love them fully. Or it's easier to, at least. Um, In a non-carefully COVID setting, I would actually have you guys turn around and take five minutes to get to know somebody around you. Today, obviously, we're not going to do that. Um, I want you, though, I challenge you. After service, 
Um, I want you to find somebody that you've never talked to before. Um, and just spend five minutes getting to know them. Ask them more questions than just what their occupation is, whether they have kids. Those are surface-level questions. Ask something real. Find out something about them. If you're more comfortable doing it, you can step outside. I don't think it's raining. Um, we, we can fall into these routines and these habits, and we can fall into talking to the same people, checking in on the same things. And I want you to have this Philadelphia, this sibling love with somebody new today. And kids, I know you guys are in the service. You guys can do this too. But Paul's next rapid-fire statement tells us to rejoice in hope. Be patient in suffering, persevere in prayer. So this implies that when we do step out of our comfort zone and when we do start loving others, that we look like what we look like. The world is going to get us down. We will absolutely have disappointment. We will absolutely have suffering. But as we love God and we love others, we get to still rejoice in the hope that Christ has for us. We get to call on his name in prayer and patiently await his hand. Paul's next statement calls us to help each other. It says, contribute toward the needs of others, including offering hospitality to strangers. It doesn't say offer hospitality to your cousins or the people you know really well. It says to strangers. Maybe you don't invite a stranger to sleep at your house the moment you meet them. And children, if you're going to help strangers, make sure you're with your caregivers. Um, but it is calling us to take time and help somebody with a perceived need or offering help in a way that only you can in that moment. Maybe that looks like inviting someone who's alone at a restaurant to join you. And maybe it looks like hosting a dinner for a bunch of people you're just starting to get to know. Maybe you have space and you do offer a room to somebody um, to stay that just needs a place for a while as you, after you get to know their story. Maybe you bring cookies to a new neighbor, or when you go to the next protest, bring extra water and snacks so that you can share with the strangers around you. I know that COVID has made this very difficult for us. So if you're in the place where you cannot have regular interactions yet, maybe it looks like encouraging words and a note. Maybe a phone call to check on a new friend, or a ding-dong ditch gift on someone's front porch that you just don't know that well. This part, I know, already resonates so deeply with this church. One of my first weeks back here, Pastor Dan was actually looking for homes that would welcome others during the holidays, and he had way more offers than he had need um, to place people in them. We also attended gathering table uh, shortly after and got to see great people gratefully receiving a hot meal. Um, I watched people, person after person, go down to the teen closet and fill their needs for supplies. And my heart was so warmed. When there is a need, the body of believers is to love others and meet that need. Not only for those who are related to, not only for those who are easy, easy to love, but for everybody. Okay, so there's a shift now in Paul's writing. 
He was focused more on relationships with others within the church, universal, to the way that that same love can be shown to those outside our church walls, outside loving other Christians, to loving those who do not think the way that we do. Jesus himself taught us to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. And now Paul is giving this same directive. Paul continues throughout this book to sound more and more like Jesus. Paul, someone who knows persecution and hurt deeply, who was stoned and left for dead, who has been locked up for sharing his faith, is telling the Romans to bless those who persecute them, to be happy with those who are happy and sad with those who are sad, to have empathy with others in a way that can only point toward a genuine, sincere love. We're going to jump back to Romans 12:2 really quick in, in our heads because I did not make a slide. It says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The more our minds are being transformed, the more we can have empathy with others, the more we can rejoice and weep with them, the more we can cling to the good and hate the evil that's in this world. Next, we need to live in harmony, associating with all people, even those you don't get along with, even those you don't always agree with, and those who outright annoy you. I would contest that Paul is even pointing us to look back at our own pride here, laying it down at the feet of the cross. If we carry the thought around with us that we are the ones who know best, that we are the ones who have all the answers, God will find a way to humble us, and it might not end well. This statement may be coming from personal experience. Recognizing that we don't have all the answers, that we are willing to submit to each other in love is an important lesson that we all need to learn. For me, this has come to bite me enough times to know better until I forget again. And then I have to go back and ask for forgiveness. And then a little while goes by and I do it again. And I'm just reminded always that I do not have all the answers. And now Paul sums up this whole section with, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Not matching evil for evil, but to leave room for the wrath of God. We can absolutely stand up for what's right while also living peaceably with all. We can say our side of the argument and then drop it and leave room to listen. We can sit at protests civilly, showing up in solidarity for change of systems and institutions that are evil, and not fight or loot. We can speak up against those systems and institutions without putting down another human. Because remember, God loves all of us. Um, and side note about that wrath of God comment, Pastor Dan talked about it in Romans 1, so you guys have to think back six months. <laughs> so if you can remember, kudos, I didn't. <laughs> Pastor Dan had to point this out to me. Um, 
what that means is natural consequences. When people are making bad choices, natural consequences come. This, somebody's evil will catch up with them. We don't really need to do anything evil against somebody else because that's the way life works. What you sow, nope. What you reap is from what you sow. Um, we can do our part peacefully while allowing God to do his part. Paul recognizes that peace does not depend entirely on how the followers of Jesus behave. Other parties with difficult, different motives and habits also contribute to what happens and may cause conflict. As we show up to a protest, as we speak up on the side of justice and righteousness, there will always be opposition. We still need to speak up to attempt to make a change, but we need to remember his caution. and We need to act nobly in the sight of all, even when participating in these methods for change. We live in a culture of confrontation. I'm sure many of you are on Facebook, and so you see all the fights, especially lately. People are arguing over which party is right, which candidate deserves office. If you watched the debate this week, the candidates played this open confrontation out right for us on the screen. The animosity that people have against others is pervasive. Personal differences are seen as a reason to fight. For Christians, we're called to live peaceably. This doesn't mean we cave the second we're challenged. It doesn't mean that we don't stand up for what's right, but it does mean that we draw our example from Christ, always acting in love, even toward our enemies, our perceived enemies, or our real enemies. And this brings me back to Christ. Outside of Christ, none of this is possible. We can't fully love this love that Paul talks about is impossible outside of enabling the grace of God. Love is not something that we can do on our own. Again, I'm going to go back to Romans 12:2. We need the transformation of the Holy Spirit in our minds and lives to foster this love within us. And the questions that Pastor Dan asked of us last week pertain still today. If we're not seeing this kind of change and transformation in our lives, if we're not able to love others the way that this has all explained us how we're supposed to, we need to ask ourselves some questions. Um, first, are we, have we given our lives fully to Christ? Are we pursuing discipleship? And are we plugged into the church life? Um, or into Christian community in some way. It's our job to cooperate with the Spirit in developing a consistent mindset of love toward others and to work actively at putting love into effect in the various relationships we find ourselves involved in. Even when it comes to loving our enemies, blessing those who go against our beliefs. What is most clear in this passage is that believers are to cultivate an, an attitude of love that puts the focus on the good of the other person and not on the defense of our own rights and dignity and, or even perhaps our very lives. 
lived out consistently, the Christian community can become a genuine counterculture that serves as a witness to a world increasingly caught up in the spiral of violence and politics, a world increasingly unwilling to have real face-to-face conversations, a world increasingly unwilling to truly love everyone, even those who we are against. This looks like being willing to put up messages on our sign to the community that calls us all to change or to at least stop and think. This calls us, this looks like being willing to feed the community and being willing to try to love the hard to love. Side note, this is not in here. I call them EGRs, extra grace required. Some people need that. We need to learn how to love the EGRs in our life. And it looks like being willing to reconcile with those who you don't think you'd ever be able to reconcile with. Which brings me back to my story with Gary. So we sought counseling. We sought God in ways that we had never committed to prior. Remember, I grew up here. And Gary grew up um, going to the American Baptist Church in Morton. Sometimes you can spend 25 years or more in church and not have a changed heart until you are open and willing to look at your life in ways that are scary and uncomfortable with an honesty that only a deep relationship with Christ can do. Add to this a relationship with others who are equally willing to be committed to Christ to also be honest and uncomfortable with you. Looking at your life in ways that have you lay all your anger, all your failings, all your politics, all your biases on a table, and truly examine them in ways that only falling flat on your face can do. Putting down your masks that you've worn for years, not these masks, we still have to wear those but the proverbial masks that we've been wearing and truly revealing to others who you are, making known the things in your heart that you thought you'd hidden away and now laying them bare in front of people's faces, nowhere to hide. To make a long story short, you know that Gary and I are here together today. We were able to rebuild our lives because of this sincere love. Sorry. (laughs) We were able to put down all of our disagreements, all our hurts, all our baggage, because we had people around us who were willing to accept us for exactly who we were. We were able to love and seek peace because of the way God changed our hearts and our minds, because of Jesus and the people around us. Gary and I were able to accept each other fully for the first time. We were remarried um, over 10 years ago now. When a church body learns this level of love, this level of sincere love of other, true change can happen not only in relationships like Gary and I, but within the community that we find ourselves in. I believe that this church is going to be a beacon of hope for Brockport, a place where people can come and just be themselves. 
a place where we walk beside others without judgment, a place where people do not have to pretend or wear a mask on Sunday morning, but can show up a complete mess and still be 100% accepted right where they're at. If this is you today, welcome. I'm so glad you're here. I promise I will be a mess with you. This is why our doors are open. This is why churches everywhere should be open. We are here to point people to Christ and to live a changed life on fire for the gospel, loving everybody that we come into contact with. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. You can connect with us on Facebook at Brockport First Baptist, on Twitter at Brockport FB, and on our website, BrockportFirstBaptist.org. Our theme music was composed by Scott Holmes. This has been a production of Brockport First Baptist.